Hey, so how's it, everybody? Welcome back to Freedom Fanatics. I'm your host, Alex, and today I'm joined by one of my colleagues, Sholem Boyson. Sholem, welcome back to Freedom Fanatics, where your freedom is worth fighting for. Remember, guys, you can find us at Badge of Liberty on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, as well as TikTok. I don't know if there's any platform that I've forgotten there, Sholem. <laughs> no, we have, we are on, we basically on all platforms at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and when, when people say, oh, so, you know, you can listen to your podcast wherever you find your podcast, wherever you find yourself in social yeah. media, we probably do exactly. Um So, Sholin, like, we, let's, let's kick off today's show um, with a story that touches on one of our favorite topics, which is voting and your freedom to lead. Um, and this is quite a concerning story that was ultimately highlighted by a, um, an organization called My Vote Counts. Um, and the story came out of New City 4, where uh, the, the titled Underfunding of IEC, a Threat to Democracy. After this was, after New City 4 released a, a report that uh, the IEC's budget had been cut by almost 770 million rand um, over the next three years. Um, now, obviously, My Vote Counts acknowledge that this doesn't happen in a void um, and, um, you know, other budgets have been cut, policing is being cut, all sorts of departments because South Africa is getting poorer. Um, so, but what, is, what does this mean? So some of, the, uh, some of the implications of this are the following. So obviously, when you have less money, you can do a lot less cool stuff. Uh, but what they highlight in the, this is what they highlight in the article. Um, so firstly, there will not be a second weekend of voter registration for the 2024 provincial and national elections. Uh, voter education and outreach will not be adequate, adequately funded. Uh, implementation of the Electoral Amendment Act will be jeopardized. Additional staff will be appointed and plans to introduce an e-voting pilot project towards ensuring elections are free and fair are now underfunded. So very concerning, uh, cutting to cutting the, the sort of the heart of, of our democracy. Shona, which one for you here is is uh, what, what stands out for you in, in this list, uh, or just the the issue at heart? Yeah, no, for sure. One thing that definitely um, sticks out for me here is that the fact that voter education and outreach will not be adequately funded. I mean, we already see in mm. South Africa that there's a decline in people, you know, participating in our elections. Unfortunately, since democracy, it's been a consistent decline downwards. And I mean, now more than ever is when we actually need an, an overfunded IEC, I would say, because they, they have such a vital and crucial job in um, in securing and making sure that, you know, everybody is able to have access and people are actually able to cast their votes because, you know, voting is a cornerstone of mm. democracy in general. And without it, all else will most likely fail because, I mean, in situations like um, in Zimbabwe, you know, there's a situation where the ruling party, you know, have constantly been accused of reading the elections in their favor um, mm. because no proper resources have been placed into their electoral commission. And I mean, if the IEC, which stands for the Independent Electoral Commission, mm -hmm. uh, wants to remain independent, it must be um, sustainably resourced. And I must also note, like, Ram, no conspiracy theorists out in the streets, Alex, but I find it kind of sus that just when things are starting to get extremely tough mm -hmm. for our ruling party, the ANC, that's when suddenly there's no longer any money 
to put mm. into the independent electoral commission. No, yeah, that's just for me. No, look, I, 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 def, I, I think there, there, there's some merit to that, but I do think that there's an element of that. You know, uh, our economy is not growing. Um, yeah. the, the ANC itself is running out of money, um, so it's mm. kind of emblematic of, of, of that sort of stagnation. Um, and the problem then is you don't have money to spend on things that need spending on. Um, but then again, you know, we've got a public service wage bill, which is bloated, and you know, yeah. comrades and cadres getting probably way more than they should, or there's too many of them that aren't contributing or adding value. And I think what we see here is, you know, plans to introduce pilot project for e-voting. You know, mm. innovation gets stymied, you know, we just, we can't do cool things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, if we actually wanted to, um, you know, engage more um, you digital and more electronic-minded uh, um, youth mm. in this day and age, uh, e-voting um, pilot project is exactly what we might need to maybe see it obviously was done in the proper manner i mean in the united states even i'm just thinking when constantly every time they have the um, elections i'm talking about the united states you know they have a lot of funding behind the voting and still there is accusations of um election rigging and um funds and somebody maybe having hacking into their um yeah. electronic voting systems i'm like can you imagine in South Africa the risk that that um, poses here if something that needs su supreme and ultimate cybersecurity, there's not enough money to do it? And then you know what the joke is? That tender might possibly go to a K uh, to an ANC cater that, you know, obviously has, doesn't really care about how well the job's done anyway. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think one thing we must outline here is that it is part of our mission at FAN to ensure that you know, we get as many yeah. people to vote as possible. So when it comes to voter education outreach, we'll be putting our money where our mouth is and uh, leading a campaign uh, to get people to register and ultimately vote in 2024. It's, it's basically two years until we head back to the polls. So also, if there's anything that we can do as people to go, you know, we've, we cover Sholin's stories all the time of communities stepping in where the government is failing. This is another example, but what you can do is think why you go to the polls, look at a friend, ask a friend if they've registered, if they voted in the last election, ask them if there's one thing that they could vote for, what would it be? And if you can get them to register and get them to vote, we can do the work of the government uh, where they are failing. So, you know, all is not lost. Um, and it's, it's ultimately like with a lot of other things, including service delivery in South Africa, it's up to you and me. But moving swiftly along to a story that, uh, you know, what would a week be without a race story in South Africa? And, and Sholin, you brought this to my attention yesterday. Um, and it's none other than the race squabble that is going on at Stellenbosch University, uh, Sholin's alma mater. Um, I'm trying to think where to start here. So, Sholin, let me, let me just share my, start sharing um, our platform here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the the floor first to just give us some background as to, to about the story. Yeah, what so actually happened? Mm. Yeah, so um, early um, yesterday, um, um, which was probably like the 16th of of May, um, it actually came on this viral video actually was released, 
And, you know, people, uh, what actually occurred was that one of the students in one of um, Boss's prominent um, residences, male residences, um, stated that, you know, one uh, was a black first year student who stated that um, white a white student or a group of them um, entered his room and they just started, you know, urinating all over his um, over his over his room um, in his residence. And when they and when he essentially asked them, like, why are you guys doing this? Um, what's the point of you doing this in the early hours of the morning while you guys are drunk? And it's been reported at least um, that why the response was that, oh no, this is what we do with um, black boys. Um, here in Stellenbosch, supposedly. Um, and uh, the incident, uh, like, it caused a complete uproar, which I think is rightly so. Because, I mean, sorry, I mean you, you're, on, you're on campus at the moment, right? What are, what are yes. the kind of things that you've personally seen? Yeah, so what's actually happening is that there's been constant protests on um, on our university campus. Um, you know, a lot of people are calling for the student's um, expulsion. They want him to actually be expelled from this um, institution. Although, like, the management of the university has claimed that, okay, no, they have suspended him. Um, in the meantime, following a proper investigation um, from the university. But many people are, you know, they going to, like, the university's head offices, um, you know, complaining, protesting, saying like more needs to be done regarding this instance and mm -hmm. that it should and this and that this guy should be used as an example that, you know, racism is not tolerated in this institution as a whole, um, whether it's staff or new students. Um, that is something that the university should not tolerate and a clear message should be sent that, yeah, this type of behavior can lead to um, be to you actually being expelled um, mm -hmm. if it if you are partaking in it, yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to just flight the, the video for a moment and then I'm going to just respond to, to, to what you've said. Um, so let's, let's, let's have a look at, at, at the video. Why are you peeing in my room? Huh? Why are you peeing in my room, bro? Why are you someone? Huh? Oi. What, bro? Okay. So pretty, pretty wild. Um, I so I think Sean, what's worth noting here is that you know we are often very, uh, very skeptical when it comes to race hustling in South Africa. Yeah. And I think what's important here is when 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 racism does occur, you call it out. Um, and I think this is certainly. Something like that. I mean, you're a resident at, at Stellenbosch. Um, if your if uh, your bed sheets were dust in urine, I don't think you'd be all that chuffed. Um, so I think it's it's worth acknowledging what it is. But I think what's also important here yeah, is that you know the boy the the boys apologized. There's there's video um, videos emerged of at a, some sort of hearing uh, where the boys apologized for his actions. He's clearly drunk um, and um, the the victim has denied has is not uh, laying criminal charges. Um, mm. So I think there's certainly an element here where, um, for me, where processes kind of need to be followed. Outrage, I think, is unfortunately like I think it's justified. Um, yeah. But I think it's also you know the things need to go through the various processes and 
also behind closed doors if these guys can can sort out between themselves and come to some agreement i think there should be some sort of disciplinary action then i think that's probably at least a good first step i don't know what, what are your thoughts on, on the sort of ramifications of disciplinary process yeah no for sure i agree with you um i do think that you know what um approaches um there needs to be a legitimate um, process where these things are consistently being held forth. Um, mm. Because, I mean, you can't have one response for this guy, another response for if another incident occurs. Um, there needs to be a consistent line and procedure that takes place when it comes to disciplining these people. Mm. You know, it's essentially, um, I would basically like say um, uh, the rule of law, if we're going to, um, you know, Call if, if we're going to call for things like equality, this is where it should start. Um, there should be um, an equal amount of um, attention given to this. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't just be from, you know, like mob justice, where mm-hmm. everybody's screaming um, off with the head of this guy, whatever the case may be, that that's not actually how we deal with stuff in a civilized um, country and in a civilized institution. There needs to be a proper procedure for sure, yeah. Mm. And mm. I even think, um, in this case, I even think that he should be expelled. I don't think suspension is enough. But, yeah, in this specific context, that's definitely my view. Mm. Yeah, I think the fact that, you know, due process needs to be applied here is, is an important, yes. important aspect. And I think it, it's, it can get tricky in universities where, you know, ordinarily people vomiting and weaving on each other isn't uh, the most outrageous thing. But uh, yeah. obviously context in this, this is important. And... Um, yeah, like I, th- I think, yeah, basically the law needs to be applied equally, um, mm. and and I yeah. think that's important. Otherwise, when when racism, that's the thing, so that when racism does occur, we can deal with it uh, appropriately, um, yeah. as in, as in this instance. Um, I was going to talk about Sasco Sasco's uh, statement, but uh, I think I think let's let's save that for for another day. Um, <laughs> let's rather shut and move. Is there anything else you want to add? before we move on to our next uh, little item for today. No, no, that was all I was actually, um, I wanted to say. Um, other than also, my only concern is that, like, as you say, we need to call out these racist actions when it do occur. Mm. And because what we see, especially in our social media age, is that there tends to be a lot of false and fake claims made against people, you know, in an mm. attempt to destroy people's careers, destroy, but when things like these actually happen and it's blatant and, and extremely clear as in this case, it needs to be called out absolutely. And one of my concerns was this, like, um, like I always tell you, Alex, I don't look for racism under every rock and behind every um, dark cupboard or whatever the case may be. But my concern with this was really how many times has this actually occurred and mm. the public was never made aware of it. Mm. And that's something I really took into consideration because not many people would have been courageous enough to have sp- spoken up and to be like, yo, um, I'm actually a victim um, in this regard and it's actually real. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty disgusting thing to do uh, nonetheless. Um, so either way you would expect some sort of disciplinary uh, procedure, but yeah, let's see. Let's see what happens. Um, obviously, Sasco and, and the EFF, I'm sure, are leading the charge on campus. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen anything on around the sort of the political actors on campus before we, we move on. Yeah, no, for sure. May, man, many of the like um, protests and so forth and actions on social media all over has been um, by the EFF um, guys, the student organizations, and Sasco as well. And one of my concerns is that they are going to 
take this and run with it as a political motive behind it. Um, mm. As we usually saw, even with this fees must fall um, situation where uh, we have a lot of these walkie, these, these young youth trying to be um, political activists and secure their eventual jobs, they're taking a run away with it and diluting the actual racist incident that was taking place mm. um, in this scenario. And that is just my fear that they do not... Um, shy away attention from it to, to complete some EFF agenda um, mm. somewhere. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. No, for sure. I mean, it was also always what I think we should keep a keen eye on is where the individuals in the story uh, yeah. are involved. So it is an incident that happened between these two parties and now with the disciplinary procedure, that's kind of where one's attention should be focused um, to avoid it being weaponized unduly. Uh, but that onus is on you and me uh, and people watching this to to be keep our wits about us and always be critical um Sean, let's uh, unfortunately Teo couldn't join us today but he flagged a story um that is slightly different to to something that we usually speak about and and this is about um the impact of uh, uh the medical medical excuse me the mental health state rather of um south africans and particularly our youth so i'm going to flight this video um, which comes out of Timbisa, and then let's just chat about it very briefly. Ghostwriter, Wednesday evening, white man living in Timbisa. This is a message which I hope will be very important to some people out there. One of my modules that I'm doing in my master's year, year five, has to do with suicide and depression. Uh, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, SADAC, uh, their statistics show that 23 people commit suicide every day in South Africa and 230 people attempt but fail to commit suicide every day in South Africa. Since COVID started, um, the figure of calls that the SADAC call center must manage on a daily basis has jumped from 600 to 2,200. It's rough out there. Uh, people have lost houses, jobs, husbands, wives. Uh, it's, it really is rough out there. So you never know what's going through the mind of a person that you know or a person sitting next to you at work. So don't give up. Encourage people. The sun will always shine again tomorrow and abide by the principle that tomorrow will always be greater than today. Have a good evening. I hope that message helps someone out there. All right. Some some feel-good motivation there, Sholin. Obviously, you know, something that uh, is often glossed over is mental health. I mean, when in a, especially in a country where the physical realities for so many are so difficult, um, you know, we tend to gloss over the state of people's well-being uh, and mental health. So, you know, when we look at I mean, we are, where do we, where do we start? Um, you know, people are in in debt. Um, you know, the value of uh, the the your, the purchasing power of your of your basic salary is diminishing. Um, and you know, seventy five percent of young people in South Africa are unemployed. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tough one. But I think it's important to highlight that. Uh, yeah, psychologically, our our people are taking a bit of a bashing at the moment. 
No, for sure. I, the one thing I really appreciate about this video is that, you know, it shows that mental health really doesn't um, discriminate based on mm. race or um, economic, um, socioeconomic status. None of those things matter because it's, it's, that's why I think it should even be such a unifying um, issue for all of us. And it also goes to show, as you mentioned in the clip, you know, like people losing jobs, incomes, um, the houses, homes, um, the, that actually goes to show that um, a productive economic activity essentially goes beyond any um, financial transaction that you could possibly have. Because, I mean, people being able to bring in money to support the family, it extends to being an issue regarding dignity um, that people have, being able to break um, poverty, generational poverty. And that's why it should really be concerning for the, for the, for the government or the state that when you stop people from doing this, you not only stop them from being able to put food in their mouth, but it's also restricting the willpower and the mm. outlook on life and the freedom that they um, that they are able to live out of. So yeah, it extends way beyond uh, economic activity extends way beyond just being a financial transaction. Mm, exactly, and we we've often spoken about it, and especially um, a friend our dear friend uh, from the Center for Risk Analysis, uh, Becky Mitchell, often cites the um, that healthier economies, better performing eco economies have happier, quite literally, um, populations. Um, now, obviously, you know, that's not to say that uh, people with money don't uh, are necessarily um, more happy in, the, in their personal lives, but certainly their, their basics, um, in their, the, their concerns are a lot different to those without jobs or incomes or, or struggling uh, families. So I think it's just something to bear in mind, and uh, that goes to the root of, uh, you know, why at FAN we advocate for, um, you know, an accountable and limited government um, that ultimately emboldens you and allows you to have the freedom to earn, the freedom to learn, the freedom to play, um, which can ultimately be achieved by voting at the ballot box and using your freedom to lead so that's just something worth worth bearing in mind guys our last little little thing that we want to point out is just a little bit of some developments here at fan our campaigns team has been very busy behind the scenes uh running running some campaigns and and this has to re this relates to your freedom to play um and we have uh started tackling uh, racial discrimination in sport and our latest uh, press release that went out, I think this morning actually, um, is demanding clarity from SASCOC, um, from the uh, South African Sports Confederation Olympic Com Committee to see clarity on the sporting governing body's stance on non-racialism um, so that we've uh, sent a request in terms of the Promotion of Access and Information Act, um, which aims to, to foster cultural transparency and accountability um, and we just want to know what their race-based uh, policies are. Um, and if there are racialized policies, we want to know how they are determined and, and why they exist. So just something worth keeping an eye out for. Um, and we'll obviously keep you guys in the know here on Freedom Fanatics and at www.freedomadvocacy.net. So I think, Sholin, I think let's wrap it up there for today. I think we've got some, some interesting stuff lined up in burning questions um so yeah let us jump straight into that right now
Hey guys, hey everyone, welcome to this week's uh, Burning Questions. Um, myself and Alex um, have an exciting show ahead. Um, so I think we can get straight into it, eh, Alex. Um, so today's um, quote of the week that we um, have highlighted and has been performing well on our social media platforms um, is a quote card by Milton Friedman, who is an American economist. And Milton Friedman essentially says, you know, we need a government to ensure the safety of its citizens, to provide police protection, but unfortunately, government is failing in this regard. And um, Alex, do you have any thoughts? Um, I know that Maldivian speaks in a very American context, but are there some similarities that we actually see happening in South Africa um, right now with the squad card as well? Mm, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm, I can't exactly remember when this uh, this quote was made, but he, he was speaking to to an American uh, context. Um, I, I, you know. Places like New York used to suffer from immense levels of crime um, in the 19, I think it was 1980s, 19, 1970s, 1980s. And they, 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 they cleaned up their act to a large degree. Um, but um, yeah, that's one of the, the ultimate functions of the state is to keep its citizens safe. And, you know, when I think there was news just yesterday, uh, Sharon, that you were chatting to um, so some some colleagues on the Daily Friend show about uh, you know there's been 442 mass killings um, in the Western Cape in the last 18 months, which I think extrapolates to over 500 people. Um, and we know how bad murder rates are, um, how you know gender-based violence in South Africa. And unfortunately, you know your your freedom is so severely limited when you don't feel safe enough to walk the streets. Um, and you know to to trade to do business um, when your property is not not protected um, when you have threat of your home being invaded so yeah I think we we don't need to tell anyone at home how bad things are um, but it's certainly something that that we need to address and I'm sure people in the comments did that as well yeah speaking of people in the comments one thing that we also just want to flight um is some of the comments and responses that we actually received uh, regarding fans um quote cards because i mean fans quote cards tend to generate a lot of um engagement on our social media platforms and people have a lot to say and one of um our um comments is by um Savas nathaniel um and he essentially asked um, us, like, what government are we supposed to be referring to? Because we have a mafia, mafia organization running this country. And I mean, we have a lot. I mean, the ANC is is a lot of things. Um, but oh, is it maybe a stretch that we extend into calling it the mafia organization or a criminal syndicate? Because I know, um, Alex, there was always reports like coming from places like um, the, the case in Natal, where there's actually cases where um, ANC members and the ruling party members actually like assassinate one another. Um, there's there's um, political assassination is quite the thing. And because people want different, um, what do you call it, um, positions and so forth. But do you think calling the ANC a mafia organization is a step too far? Or is it maybe a very good description of the organization? You know, and I actually want to give some credit. I think it's it's not so far-fetched. Um, you know, if you even look like our president, our deputy president is embroiled in some scandals in Mpumalanga with some game farms in there, over there. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, political killings in Kezerin is a massive problem. You know, speak about, um, you know, safety and security issues. Uh, it even affects the, the governing party itself. Um, 
And yeah, obviously, you know, former president Jacob Zuma is embroiled in stuff. There was the arms deals, they capture, um, you know, then you've got the Estina dairy farm in Free State with Esma Kashule. You've got the asbestos case. So, you know, it's, I don't think it's that far-fetched. Um, and I think what's, what, what Savas touches on is that, you know, they, they're running the show to enrich themselves, which ultimately um, I think they are. The ANC, the, the, ANC, the government, the, the governing party. Um, so I, I, th- I think he's onto something there. We've just lost your volume, Sheldon. Oh, sorry. So another thing I was going to mention was that, you know, so one of our, um, another one of our comments actually touched on the fact that, you know, it's not enough um, that we expect the government to um, come and save us. Um, but um, this quote, this comment is actually from Mark um, Stephen. Um, and he essentially says that, you know, you're, we are supposedly out of touch. And the thing is that we don't need more. We need to be armed against um, what um, this court supposedly um, advocates for because the police are defunct. Um, yeah, and I mean, in South Africa, we, our, our, um, our, our, police is in a terrible state and i think that's the reason why we see so much more private security in the country but one thing i think we actually never spoke about yet alex and mm. i actually wanted to also get your views on this do you think that you know gun rights in south africa for ordinary citizens is actually a necessary thing um you know um should should if things are already so chaotic in the country with crime and so forth should we be arming citizens with more weapons um in a legal manner of course yeah, I think like you know, we like we spoke about in freedom fanatics, Sean, about um, you know, keep keeping like um, law and order, um, or rather the rule of law in place. You know, you've got to abide by the rules, and I think the, the big problem in South Africa is uh, illegal firearms, particularly being sort of let loose by police officers. Um, and I think citizens having the freedom to arm themselves is incredibly important. And the problem with when the phase, when the state starts to become as dysfunctional as it seems to be heading, um, is that you struggle to regulate uh, things such as firearms. Um, and I know a lot of, uh, well, not personally, but I, I know stories of, of people who um, firearms own, firearms owners are generally quite responsible people that want to abide by the law. I think most South Africans do want to abide by the law, but when your institutions fall apart around you. Um, you know, and your leaders don't lead by example, then it makes it incredibly difficult to to get people to to play by the rules. Yeah, and I know from um, one of um, the Ghana activists um, on um, social media, specifically um, Gideon Yobar, um, one of the things he always highlights is that the process to actually own a firearm and be able to protect yourself um, is quite a, a, it's a very complex and complicated one. So if you actually do get your firearm license, I kind of think you must probably be somebody that can be trusted because I know that um, SAPS tends to do over and above background checks um you know make sure all the procedures all your documentation is in order so yeah i definitely hear your point um, i think it's also goes to say it 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 speaks to other elements of service delivery um and dealing with with uh, bureaucracy you know i think how difficult maybe maybe where you based in cape town it's it's a little bit easier but you know getting a driver's license renewing your driver's license Mm -hmm. renewing your car license disc um you know anyone who's been to home affairs in the last five to 10 years, we'll know it's no one looks forward to it. So if we made these processes a lot more, a lot easier, a lot more people would 
would make the effort to to make sure that they're above board and um, following due process. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, thank you for sharing your your views with us on this burning episode, um, questions episode. And to our viewers, um, you can engage, you can go leave comments that we are able to read on our um, on our um, podcast episodes. Go and do it um, at Badge of Liberty, Freedom Advocacy Network on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, wherever you on social media, go and get us there and definitely engage with our content and, you know, leave us your thoughts and we will definitely be sure to read up on it and engage with it as best as possible. But thank you guys for joining this week's episode of Burning Questions. Um, we will see you guys next week and yeah, have a good week. So see you guys.